Welcome back to FinTalk brought to you by Vermic. Here we discuss pressing topics in fintech, regtech, covering regulatory, collateral, and digital across banking and insurance and finance. Vermic has been proud to deliver innovative software solutions in the industry with stability and cost efficiency for our global Rostock clients. With over 20 years of trusted transformation in finance and insurance, we're bringing industry's top expertise to FinTalk. I'm Jared Akta, and I'll be your host for this podcast. Uh, welcome back to FinTalk, brought to you by Vermic. I'm Jared Akta, your host. Uh, we're going to continue the theme of Basel 3.1. Uh, today, I have Enrico Massori from Deloitte. Thank you for joining us, Enrico. Thank you for having me. So today's topic is market risk. So we've covered credit risk. Now we're going to focus on market risk. There are changes. We know this is a CP. It is a CP, but there are definitely big changes. So taking a step back, maybe, as you mentioned, it is a CP. It was published at the end of last year by the PRA through a consultation that closed in March. So now we are in that phase where the PRA is reviewing all the uh, the responses from the industry and will shortly, hopefully, finalize the regulation. What we are seeing is pretty much aligned, at least in general terms, to the original Basel proposal. And thankfully for many institutions, it is also not too dissimilar for, for what has already been implemented for their European legal entities that went live with reporting in 2021. So just to add to that, obviously, going back onto the CP, there's some key changes that we've seen. Yes. Obviously, renamed to standardization. We've got the ASA. Yes, come in and the IM. We're going to go through a load of jargons now. We're going to go through a load yes. of acronyms again. You know, how much different is that from what people are doing now versus what does this new frame look like? Well, it, in general terms, it is quite different in the sense that the objective of the regulators was to strengthen the market risk framework that had grown out of Basel, Basel 1 many, many uh, decades ago now, and evolved through uh, Basel 2.5, grown in a bit of organic way. And now the objective is to try and bring some order and structure into the, into the framework, creating uh, calculation and creating measures of capital that are more risk sensitive, so more closer to what the, the industry is, is doing from a management perspective, but is also increasing the level of complexity of the standardized calculations to make them as a credible fallback for internal models. And internal models themselves are becoming even more complex and even less able to cover a broad set of the portfolio. So if we look at the, at the proposal, it's basically introducing or rebranding three calculations. You have the simplified standardized approach, which is very, very similar to the current standardized approach. So it's still a notional slash modified duration based calculation with risk weights uh, on the basis on, on a, of a relatively simple grade. And this is applicable for small banks that don't, don't tend to have large training book positions. So it will be, I would say, relatively restricted in terms of applicability across the industry. The bulk of firms will be on what you mentioned is the ASA or alternative standardized approach, which is the, the new baseline standardized approach. And this is a much more complex calculation. It is a standardized approach in almost in name only, 
paraphrase in the sense that it absorbs and incorporates many aspects of the current VAR calculations in the sense that there are many more risk classes. The risk classes are treated at a much more granular level. So we have different data elements that are used to basically derive the risk weight for every single exposure. The exposure is no longer calculated at the notional or mark-to-market uh, value, but we are using sensitivities. So it's a, it's a criteria that is a concept that is very familiar to the risk, the risk world. And finally, the aggregation of all risk factors is on the basis of regulatory prescribed correlations, which means that there is a limit to the capital benefit that comes from, from hedging of positions. I don't quick look into the rules that in the ASA method mm -hmm. is regulator, do you need regulatory permission for that? There are certain elements where there's an optionality for which regulatory notification is required. So it's not a proper application as per uh, the use of internal models, but for the use of optionality, there's certain level of documentation and evidence of the impact of the, the optionality uh, on capital that needs to be that needs to be presented. Examples are for the use of own sensitivities. So the, regula the regulation specifies how to calculate the sensitivities, but leaves the option to firms to use the, the current risk sensitivities that you, they use on their management and, and business processes currently. Another example is, for example, uh, is the decomposition of funds, for example. So there's, there's around 10 elements in the regulation dotted across that for which firms have an opportunity to ask for this particular permission to use this methodology, which comes with a capital saving of some sort. The ASA is, is targeted at kind of mid-tier firms, is, but it doesn't look that simple. <laughs> it's supposed to be the advanced simple method, right? But it's not really that simple if you look at the rules side of it. Is that, it is, that is not only targeted to, to mid-tier firms. It's like... Everything that we see in the in the Basel 3.1 framework, the standardized calculations now become the fallback and are used to calculate the output floor for the internal models, so the advanced calculations. So, if if we look at the at the new internal models under under FRTB, you will see that it's a lot harder for firms to maintain the internal model permission, they, they will actually have to reapply across all portfolios. But effectively, a firm that today had maybe 80 or 90% of their market risk RWA coming from internal model calculation and the remaining 10% coming from standardized will find themselves in a position where the under FRTB IMA, so under the internal model, they will be able to cover much less than 80 or 90% of their portfolio. And therefore, standardized calculation, the ASA, will represent a much more significant component of the, of the RWA. So in general, almost everyone has to get ASA right. Right, okay. That's something to, to look forward to and kind of get you to. Because, it, yeah, it, I've gone through the rules and it's a simple but not simple do you just fall back to the standardized approach and say, say, you know what, forget everything else. Let's just do the standard. It's similar to what we're doing now. Capital impacts. It is similar. It is um, what some, also some of the tier one firms are thinking, right? Looking at the complexity of the internal models and looking at the complexity of the standardized, 
the the trade off in terms of like how much given that you have to consider on the side the the output floor as well the the benefit the the cost benefit ratio of implementing an internal model and the the complexity that come with it not necessarily or in many cases does not outweigh the the capital benefit and therefore many firms are saying ASA is complex enough and captures our business in a well enough articulated way yeah yeah it's a good approach i just want to target a couple of other things around market risk and the changes in basel cva to me that's uh out of, you know we've seen the draft templates as well 13 templates now it used to be one um yes calculation is- looks different as well and there's also there's i think they're now starting to expand the scope as well before governments now governments are included as well in the cva calculation yeah, CVA bridges that gap between the, the pure counterparty credit risk and the traditional market risk calculations. And therefore, as the counterparty credit risk calculation have already undergone a, a, an overall in 2020 and market risk, uh, as we've discussed, is, is the subject of the current wave of change, uh, CVA had to follow. And what we are seeing is that Yes, there's, as you say, there's a significant increase in general across, not just across CVA, but uh, even market risk, a significant increase in the number of disclosure templates that are proposed uh, from a from a capital perspective. And this is partly because the regulator has now the ability with this much more granular calculation and the significant increase in reference data that is required to drive this calculation. The regulator is basically saying, you are already using this data for the calculation, show it to me, prove, prove me the classification, prove me, give me the evidence and the detail of that, of the underlying work of your calculation. Looking at the CVA framework, how it changes again, good things come in three. So in this case as well, we have a breakdown of three possible methods for the capital calculation. Gone is the ACVA that was the advanced methodology allowed for banks that already had an internal model uh, for counterparty credit risk. And the uh, the old standardized uh, calculation now becomes the BACVA, uh, which is a sort of baseline calculation. BA stands for basic approach. And it's that sort of intermediate step between an SACVA, which is the, the new complex standardized calculation, which requires regulatory permission, has some relatively stringent criteria in terms of uh, firm eligibility to use this treatment. And it's similar in calculation to the FRTB ASA. At the base of the CVA framework, it's instead a simplified approach in this case as well, which is only applicable under very specific conditions. The firm must not have hedging of CVA desk or hedging strategy. So there's it's it's specifically designed to capture those very limited exposures to certain counterparties. But as you say, in general, the scope of the calculation is greatly expanded because now it covers sovereign, it covers non-financial counterparties, uh, non-financial corporates, sorry, and it also covers pension funds. Yeah, there's the three new categories that have come in, isn't there? Is there a feeling there's going to be a significant increase in the CVA 
capital charges, obviously with an increase of from what I'm seeing from the initial results that some of the firms are are seeing from their implementation, uh, there is an increase in in capital. That's part of the objective of the regulator, uh, frankly speaking. But again, the extent of this increase is partly correlated to the quality of the implementation and the ability of firms to source the right reference data. What we are seeing through through the general in general through the Basel 3.1 framework is the need for a lot more reference data at a lot more granular level than than ever before. Certainly, that what is the case today for firms. So, one of the challenges from a, from an implementation perspective for firms is sourcing this data. I want to just hold you on that one, and then I'm going to come back to that data side of it. Lastly, Saka. Um, we know Saka was only implemented 18 months ago. Are we going to expect changes there as well? For Saka, the changes are minimal and again are connected to the fact that the CVA framework has changed. The, the, the three are linked to each other, FRTB, Saka and CVA. So having included pension funds in the uh, CVA framework, what the, uh, what the PRA is now saying is include pension funds into the SACA calculation as well. But as part of the leeway or flexibility that now the, the PRA has being outside of the EBA framework, what they've opted to do is to reduce the alpha factor, which is part of the formula to calculate the counterparty credit risk requirement. And this, this value is being reduced by one uh, from 1.4 to 1. And that's expected to bring some benefit or uh, reduce the charge from holding pension funds exposures. The catch is that for existing, so for legacy exposures, the difference in capital arising from the reduction in alpha has to be held as, as additional capital to be phased out in, in a linear fashion over the next five years. Okay, like a transition approach, yes. isn't it? Yeah, okay. You mentioned data. This is always, a, always going to be an issue, especially with new regulations coming in. Even just looking at CVA, there's there's an increase in scope. That means there's an increase in data requirements. Mm-hmm. The new, especially the the ASA approach as well, which requires a lot more data. Are you seeing that in the industry that there's a more of a, a data grab and firms going to have to go and data farm? Yeah. Yes. It's it's a data and and technology issue. On the data point specifically, as you mentioned, there's a there's a significant increase in the volume of reference data, for example, and counterparty information that is required at a very granular level. What we are seeing is there is still certain uncertainty between the various regions because, of course, the U.S. haven't uh, published their their final rules. This is expected in in short order, but. Certainly, what we see is uh, Europe and UK are one step ahead in terms of finalizing their rules. There is still some some differences in terms of how the calculations consume data. And so what firms, some firms are trying to do is to leverage some third-party providers to gain some sort of consistency between between different regions for the same exposure. So we are seeing certainly some efforts in that direction, but within within firms, there is anyway a renewed focus on 
getting, sorting the data, sorting the, the quality of data that, as you say, has always been the Achilles heel of many firms. Yeah. And lastly, I know you've been actively in the, in, in the industry working. Your advice to firms if they were listening and trying to work out what to do next? Well, a couple of, a couple of things. Uh, the first one is plan, have a plan uh, for the implementation. The plan should consider the, the end-to-end. Uh, one element that is often overlooked in this calculation is, in the implementation of this calculation is, is the operating model. These calculations all uh, will, will create a greater dependency from finance, which is the, the department that uses, usually owns the regulatory reporting, into risk. That is the department that historically has, has had a better grasp of, of these metrics. So plan for the end-to-end, understand the interconnectedness between the various calculations and think about the operating model. And the other suggestion or the other advice is to take part into the industry exercise that exists. Um, the, uh, the EBA, for example, and from this year, the PRA as well, will run hypothetical portfolio exercises. These are good opportunities for firms to benchmark themselves against the rest of the industry and understand which areas need further investment and further effort. Yeah, that's good. some really good points there. Thank you for that, Enrico. And thank you for your time. That's been really beneficial. I know we've um, covered a lot today. Thank you. It has been um, a really good chat. And we look forward to seeing you. We're going to see you next at the Vermeg uh, Future Fit annual conference yes. on the 27th of September. So looking forward to it. We'll be covering a lot more in detail there as well. So thank you again. Thank and, you. Uh, speak to you in September. Thanks. Thank you.